Hi, welcome to Shift. It's PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. All right, this is an amazing one, and it's actually super, super timely. We're here with Bruce Poontip, who is the founder of G Adventures. Hey, Bruce, welcome to Shift. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So just for the purposes of our listeners who, I mean, I can't imagine that they would be unfamiliar with G Adventures, but perhaps uh, as a Canadian success story and an amazing entrepreneur yourself, you can just kind of give us the two-second bio about you and what you're up to. Well, I founded G Adventures back in 1990. We're the largest small group, I guess, adventure holiday company, I guess is how you'd recognize us today. But, you know, we've transitioned over 31 years. We have our foundation of the work that we do that's, that's connected to you know, being responsible when we travel and, um, you know, creating wealth distribution and, you know, just creating travel for good. So tell me, in terms of where you're coming from and what you're seeing in terms of travel, what are you seeing people, how are they shifting? What are they thinking about? What's on travelers' minds now? It's about being more purpose-driven, like, and, and being connected to destinations. Just before COVID, you know, people weren't connected to destinations. The destination became irrelevant because people were buying amenities. There was a huge push for capacity, bigger resorts, bigger cruise ships, and you know they commoditized experience. That's what we were in danger of. So it has to be important to you. And so people are gonna be way more purpose-driven. If you wanna to go to this country, you know why you wanna to go to this country over that country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't think we saw that before COVID. Are people more or less risk-averse in terms of where they wanna go and what they wanna experience from travel? Pre versus post COVID. There's there's not one defining, you know, way people are handling COVID, or how they process it in their life. Like there's some people that are early adopters. These are people that line up like you know outside a store for a week for, to get a new iPhone. Yeah. And the early adopters were rushing to to travel sooner and take the opportunity to travel when there's no other tourists in some of the you know most iconic destinations in the world. And then there's some people that you know we all know people that were borderline germaphobes prior to COVID. Yeah. And this really, you know, mental health wise has really affected a lot of people. Yeah, oh yeah. So I think everyone, there's going to be just different people. There's going to be, everyone's going to have their own experience and everyone's going to have their own limits. You know, it's our goal to get people traveling, you know, right away. But I know so many people saying I'm not traveling for five years. Yeah, I'm a pretty safe traveler for the most part. I haven't been out too much into the wilderness or into, you know, countries that are deemed more dangerous than others. But now I might. So I was just wondering whether you, whether you saw any of that or... Well, we do see a huge growth in active and outdoors. Like, and I don't know if that's for, because people are, were locked up for so long that they now want to be active and outdoors because we have you know, many different trips and some are more active than others. But we're seeing people searching. Like we have search data where people are searching for active trips, trips that are outdoors. The other thing that we're noticing through data is that people are looking for very specific experiences what would you say to people as they start to think about traveling again and how to really kind of weigh out their options? Well, I think the big change that has to happen, and it's on the way, is that people have to understand the privilege they have to travel. Mm-hmm. There's so few people on the planet that have the opportunity to travel, to do international travel. You have a privilege to travel. You have a right to nothing. And so we have to get that across to the consumer and to the traveler. And, and, and I think that more and more people are thinking that way naturally. You mentioned education, retraining 
a little bit. I'd love to talk a little bit for a second about, you know, your internal, your employees and, Mm -hmm. you know, the culture of, you know, responsibility, sustainability, community. How do you make sure that you can move an organization and align them with the type of uh, vision that you have? Well, the most important thing is in the recruiting process. In order for you to get a job with us, you have to go through culture fit and you have to, and culture fit is done by cross section of people across the company who's going to make that choice to bring you into the business. So recruiting is the number one, but then, you know, it's about getting and retaining the best people. Retention is everything in business. And so it's how you run your business. It's about transparency. It's about inclusiveness. And it's about being ahead of doing what's right. Like lots of people are changing now, whether it's because of the Me Too movement or because of the LGBTQ movement. But really, companies should just do what's right. When you do that, you get buy-in from everybody. And so how you recruit people becomes really important. But how you retain them, how you create something special from you know, why they chose to work with your company is really one of the most important factors of running a business, it's, especially in people businesses. We have this, this philosophy, if you build it, they will come from Field of Dreams. Yeah. We don't have the same problems because people love working at G-Ventures, but that's all part of our philosophy, our culture, our business strategy is attracting and retaining the best people. It must take a lot of focus mm-hmm. to, to keep that going because I have to believe or think that as the world changes and ebbs and flows in this kind of stuff, to not lose your what makes you fundamentally you, to just kind of keep the lights on, you know? Do, do you find a lot of pressure? We've been very courageous over the years of really putting money into our people, into people programs. And we do amazing things for our people that nobody else does. Care to give us an example or two? Yeah. Well, leadership camps. We run leadership camps all over the world. And everyone in the company can apply. And some of our leaders from all over the world, we would have never known them if they didn't come through leadership camps. Like when we see the graduates of our leadership camp, and we were, take, we were doing two or three a year, we used to do women's leadership camps as well. It was specific for women that can just all apply. It's a huge expense because we're flying people all over the world. There's mentors and content, and it's a, it's a whole leadership camp for a week. And they're all over the world, and our people, that's not something that anyone does, teaching people to be good leaders. And the, the content isn't relevant for just G-Adventures. You know, people come and think, they're going to leadership camp, and the number one thing we, that people say when they come back from leadership camp is there was no mention of G Adventures. But G Adventures is training people to be great leaders. You know, there's there's so many fans like making sure people take trips within our company. Everyone gets a free trip once a year and an allowance for air as well. And if you take a trip, you get an additional week's holiday, like stuff like that. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I just want to repeat that in case uh, anybody missed that. If you take a trip, you get another week's holiday. So. Yeah, because we want to because we want to encourage people <laughs> to take trips. So if you don't take a trip, you get the standard holidays. But if you take one of our trips, you're doing us a favor. You're learning about our product, and our people are our greatest brand ambassadors. And so we have so many things. I can tell you so many things that we do on a regular basis. I, on Friday, I was at, we do this thing called Christmas in the community in Toronto. We've been doing it for 15 years. And I was out there wrapping presents for the kids. So we found out that the city has a, a party in Toronto for zero to five, a Christmas party for kids below the poverty line. Mm-hmm. And it was only zero to five. And with COVID, it's changed a little bit. But I consider that a perk. And our people love it. Mm-hmm. It's such a blast getting ready for the kids on Friday. I was on turkey carving duty. There was like 40 turkeys on a table. And I was carving turkeys all evening. But everyone does their part. And then on the day, every department has to run a station because the kids come in 
And all of these kids are identified by the city for being below the poverty line. Incredible. Congrats, congrats for doing that, man. I, I mean, that's amazing. So Bruce, just so everybody's really on the same page here, I love this notion of community tourism. It's such a great term. Do you think that you could just uh, describe it for us? Give us your definition of what community tourism means and kind of how it plays out. Well, there's two paths to community tourism. The first one being that everyone benefits when you decide to travel, right? It's not the one-way experience that you're taking. Travel shouldn't be about taking it should be about giving. And so everyone should benefit. And it takes a community to make, when you do one of our trips, there are so many people that are participating in making an amazing experience for you. And everyone has to benefit and creating community. And then the other one is taking people to areas that don't normally benefit from tourism. We have a, a whole series of local living trips where you, know, you can stay on a ranch in Iceland or a farm in Italy or a winery in Chile or a Mongolian tribe, nomadic tribe, or an Amazon rainforest tribe, and just live with local people. It's not about entertaining you. Sometimes travel can just be cultural immersion, cultural sharing, where local people benefit equally by learning about your life as you learn about their life. And that's really creating that community is really what makes travel so special. It allows us to transform, and not just us. By you traveling, you're going to transform people on the ground. You're going to transform communities. You know, that the 40 poorest countries in the world, tourism is one or two in terms of uh, revenue to those countries. There's a lot of different factors and a lot of different, um, you know, people involved in, in trips. And one of the things that, you know, in preparation for the, you know, for the podcast interview, the, the notion of leakage, I really find alarming. And I think, you know, I'm familiar with it in the context of uh, retail you know, when people mean theft, but leakage and travel is a very different thing. And I was wondering if you could just take a second to explain what that is and how what you're proposing, your, your take on community tourism kind of turns that on its ear. Well, it's about the money that you spend on your holiday staying in the country. There's so much of that that leaks out. So some of the biggest travel organizations in the world are public companies. And, you know, that breeds a certain process in decision making. But that money doesn't stay in the country. There's so little of the money spent when you go on holiday that stays in that country for local people to benefit. But everyone knows that. And so we ask ourselves all the time, like, you know, as an industry, not just at Jeep Ventures, mm -hmm. you know, how badly do we want travel to benefit local people? How badly do we want travel to be truly a transformational industry? Because in order for us to, to do that, there has to be significant change in how we do business. Everyone's starting to do something. And it could be donating or starting a little foundation. or But we really have to look at where we're spending. Do you think people are like, oh, can't I do anything? Can't, I can't do anything, right? Yeah. Well, that's the problem because people are fatigued. Yeah. Especially with the definitions that I told you before, ecotourism, responsible tourism, sustainable tourism, ethical tourism, green tourism, whatever the ism. Yep. It's confusing. And people, you know, they, they'll only go so far because they just want to go on holiday. Then we have to make it easy. We have to make it the choice easy and the definition easy. And, um, and it's complex because everyone's fighting to do it their way for their, their putting it as part of their brand. So they're shouting on the rooftops about what they're doing, but it's to serve their brand. It's not to serve the higher purpose. I wanted to ask you, you know, when you think about your trips and planning them, and there's so many different people and 
operators involved. How do you make sure through the line that the people that you're dealing with, that you're, you know, you're working with, live up to the values or doing the things that you want? Well, you can't. You can't do everything. I mean, we have something called the Ripple Score. Uh, the Ripple Score is a very, very unique thing that it was a, a five-year labor of love that people thought I was crazy to try and create. And what it does is it, it actually changes the behavior of our buying because we give a score on every trip. And we're the only company in the world that gives a Ripple Score meaning that we give a percentage when you travel of, of the money spent running your trip, how much of it stays in the local economy. So every trip will say 90%, 80%, 100%, 60%. And so we're motivated to work with local operators and local people that hire people within a radius of their business and don't have outside leadership coming in. So I wonder whether something like the Ripple Score could be one of those things that suddenly becomes a bit more de facto, a little bit more... Prolific. Yeah, we've, we've had a lot of big mainstream companies contacting us about the Ripple Score, how it works, and we openly share that information because it was all done by an outside group of consultants because we couldn't create the standards for that. It had to, it had to be verifiable outside. Yeah, yeah. But our goal is to have it available. Like Again, if you can't travel with us, travel like us. That's our whole motto. So it's available to anyone. It makes me think of, you know, if you're a company or a destination or, or whatever that would like to be in part of the G Adventures family and your ripple score is not quite where it needs to be, does that motivate change with some of your partners to say, how could we do better so that we could be more involved and more, more of a partner to you? Oh, yeah. That's the behaviors on the ground. So everybody knows what it takes to work with G Adventures. And if you want to work with us, that's a really important component now because it's all down in our buying. So, you know, G Adventures is, is, is a massive company. And I can't control all the behaviors that go on. But the Ripple Score really created behaviors within the organization and in the right way to buy in a way that benefits locals, that matches our brand. And it's our brand promise to our consumers. What, what advice do you have, have you given or would you give to CEOs, presidents who need to make difficult decisions, who know deep in their heart that the difficult stuff is worth doing? Like, how do you even begin to redefine a business, an industry, your company? What's the first thing they could think about? I don't think many companies set out to do that, to redefine. It's all about doing the right thing. And also doing your best in every circumstance, because there's times where you just can't make those decisions or you can't. But as long as you can stand in front of your people and say, we did our best, you know, like when we when COVID hit and escalated so quickly, we had so many layoffs and terminations because yeah. we didn't need all the people. We had thousands of people. It was over a thousand people affected. And, you know, we got a, a lot of people for the first time criticizing the organization, criticizing me. Uh, for the decisions we were making. And we did our best. And we did make mistakes. We made a ton of mistakes because we, who knew the world could shut down? Yeah. I can safely say to everyone that along the way, every decision we made, we did with the information that we had at the time and we did the best that we could to make the best decision for our people and for the business. So did you give CEO keys away? What, what is that? What's that about? So this, this goes back 15 years ago where I was trying to make a seismic change in the business by putting our customers first right? And our people first. I had to send a message of the most important people within our business and change the way the business looked at our people. So the most important title in business is the CEO title. And so I decided the most important people for our business is anyone who deals with a customer. It's not me. I barely meet customers. I barely meet customers. I'm not important. 
I want to change the thinking right across the organization. The most important people within the organization are anyone who deals with people. And we changed the CEO to chief experience officer. And the number one position to elevate the position was our tour leaders. So traditional tour leaders who run trips because they have access to all of our customers every day. They're right in front. They're our face. They're the face of the company. And so I wanted to give them the most important title within the business. And what it did is it created an incredible differentiation for us. Mm -hmm. CEO has just taken on a life of its own. All of our tour leaders and originally all of the people answered our phone to deal with our customers were chief experience officers. So they had a CEO title because I had to change the way we were thinking of our customers and change the way internally we were viewing the most important people in the business. And now the CEO title, like everyone proudly uses it right across the world. And it's, and we, we are the employer of choice, best in class. Everyone wants to be a CEO. No one wants to be a tour leader. Like we, whenever we go into a country and we start hiring people to be our CEOs, the best of the best come because they want that title because we created a brand around chief experience officers. Um, that's so amazing. All right. Ding, ding. Um, time for the lightning round where we get a chance to ask our guests some uh, non sequitur uh, questions that may or may not have any bearing on anything. For example, Bruce, what is the worst meal that you've ever had? Yak butter tea in Tibet. Tea shouldn't be salty or chewy. <laughs> That's what I tell people. Um, yak butter tea or camel yogurt in Mongolia. Those are the two worst. And everyone serves it to you when you go into their home, so it's rude not to eat it. It's awful. Yikes. Okay. Um, what's the scariest mode of transportation you've ever been on? Oh, boy. Um, probably New York subway. The New York subway. Nice. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what's your comfort food? I'm from the Caribbean. I'm from Trinidad. So my comfort food is all around Caribbean dishes. Um, roti. Oh, I love roti. Um, flying fish. Any kind of Caribbean food is my comfort food. Very nice. And um, would you be willing to tell us what your hardest life lesson so far has been? Uh, my hardest life lesson has, has been this last two years of dealing with the pandemic. I was taught growing up that business was unemotional. It's black and white decisions. And, and I fought against that throughout. If you read my book, I fought against the business can be compassionate. I opened my book, Loop Tale, in Tibet. And um, I talk about how that changed me when I got home to business. Because going through business school, you're taught the business is unemotional. Mm -hmm. But here I am in this pandemic. And, you know, I had to make a lot of unemotional decisions. I don't know what the lesson is there, but... For the first time, I had to look at positions and cultural heritage preservation to save the business as opposed to people when we were deciding who we're going to keep and who we're not. Hmm. It's the worst position to ever be in. Maybe just for myself on the last question, where is one place that you haven't traveled that you'd want to go? Because I have to think that you've been probably yeah. pretty, pretty close to everywhere. That's Russia. Oh. So I have not been to Russia or the, the Trans-Mongolian that goes through Siberia and Northern Russia, that, that train that goes from Beijing to Moscow, amazing the Trans-Siberian train. I want to do it, but it takes a long time. It's a long trip, and so I, I reckon I'll do that when I'm much older and I have time. All right, well, that wraps up another episode of Shift. That went by really quickly as we talked about travel and you know tourism and what it means to be responsible, all kinds of interesting things beyond beyond. And hey, Bruce, thank you so much for being on Shift and sharing your journey with us and giving us some really awesome things to think about when the pandemic is over. It was my pleasure. Great questions. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com 
slash CA slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.